Welcome to Enflect. Wait, should I say more than that? Okay, sorry. Okay. What do I say? It's the flex point. Here, I'll, I'll cut you off. I'll interrupt you. <laughs> you seemed way too excited for that. <laughs> Welcome to Inflect, a podcast about navigating. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't your show today. Yeah, we're teaming up today, Michael. In this episode, the FlexPoint team turns the microphone on Michael Daney, founder and CEO of FlexPoint Consulting. We wanted to thank the friends and colleagues who submitted Ask Me Anything questions. We'll start with questions about Michael's entrepreneurial journey and then shift into some questions about walking through common challenges in business transformation. Then, our favorite part, we close with a lightning round of more casual questions. Who approved this? <laughs> Michael, our first question is from a former teammate. What has surprised you in your entrepreneurial journey so far? All the little things. I think I anticipated the pressure, like the big picture pressure and stress of being a business owner and the, the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with that. And thinking about building relationships with new clients and growing and developing a team, all that stuff I spent a lot of time thinking about. I did not have an appreciation for the number of problems that Microsoft 365 was going to create for our team members. And like when I was on vacation and a team member got locked out of their account because they changed iPhones and I had to figure out how to update two-factor authentication, Kim, um, while uh, while on vacation, that's one example, but all the little things and the different types of insurance that we need to have and the intricacies of um, accounting and tax and how we uh, how we market our services, all the little things that add up. It, it's also what makes it really fun and interesting, but I think that has been a little bit surprising. Yeah, that makes sense. And gives you a little bit more empathy for when our former CFO would also call himself the IT tech support. Yes, I am chief everything officer. That's what CEO stands for, I've learned. So that's cool. Our next question comes in from a mentor. And I think you touched on some of this in your last response. But what are the biggest lessons you've learned in starting the business? I think one big thing so far for me has been I can't control everything. And I mean that in two ways. One, I mean, with our team and with our clients, this won't be successful if I just micromanage everything. Um, it's like the, you can go far alone. No, you can, what is it? You can go fast alone. You can go far together. Um, that certainly has been, has been I, I know that, but I feel like I've been living that the last year, particularly as our team has grown. And then the, the other comment on control is I'm a planner. I built a business plan for FlexPoint. I have growth targets for every quarter and every year, but I cannot manifest some of that. Some of it has to come with time based on our team's readiness and our client's readiness and the way that we build and grow relationships. So I think just the trying to drive something and bring something into existence with, while also acknowledging that I cannot totally control the outcomes. Um, that has been a big, big lesson learned. The other big lesson learned for me is that 
this is very much an infinite game, which y'all may recognize that reference to a book that uh, our, our colleague Pedro Cortez recommends. He loves that book. But what I mean by that is every week, every month, every year is just adding up towards a longer, broader adventure. And so I've learned to try to really value each phase that we're in and not look ahead to the next phase too much and and planning for that and thinking about growth, but also appreciating the the goodness of the phase that we're in right now. That makes sense, Michael. Thank you for the valuable input. Our next question is from a former coworker. How are you dividing your time between working in the business versus on the business? How has that changed in these two years with FlexPoint? And how do you see it changing in the next two years? Great question. And this is the hardest part of the job for me right now, to be totally candid. Um, I want to spend a lot of time, all my time working on the business, thinking about how we attract the right people and grow and develop the people we have and building new client relationships and thinking about our branding and positioning and thought leadership and all that. The reality is we have chosen by design to bootstrap this thing. Uh, and part of that means it's all hands on deck for delivering for our clients. And so I spend a lot of my time working in the business. Um, and that's not all bad because I love the work that we do. Uh, I got into consulting thinking I was going to do it for two years and then go get my MBA. And here I am like a decade plus later, still doing consulting. There's a reason for that. It's because I really enjoy being a professional problem solver uh, and working with clients and solving solving their challenges. And I really like that it allows me to work with our team members kind of hand in hand with our with our clients. So it's not all bad, but I do feel that tension every day around what I'm spending my time on. Um, and ultimately, if we deliver really good work for our clients, and if I personally deliver good work for our clients, good things will come for the business. It will grow uh, and, and our team will continue to flourish. So it's it's the right investment. But to answer the question more directly, about how that's changed over time. The first year I was working exclusively in the business. Year two, it's become a mix. I think it's going to stay that way for a while. Longer term, I foresee that transitioning to more growth strategy leadership of the business and less direct delivery work. We're shifting gears to common challenges and best practices in business transformation with a question from an HR executive we've worked with. What are some cultural attributes that enable or help transformations and that hinder or block transformations? Well, because the question's from an HR executive, I'm going to make sure I don't use any curse words because I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, Henry's not laughing. He didn't think that was funny. Uh, <laughs> It's a, it's a great question. I think the every organization is unique and different. Organizations are kind of like people in that way, that everyone has its own DNA and its own unique mix of what makes it tick. Um, that being said, there are some attributes that I've noticed, common attributes that position an organization to handle change 
and transformation more effectively than others. And a few that come to mind are adaptability uh, and a comfortability with change. So if an organization is always evolving and they have years of experience changing, more change just feels natural. It still might be uncomfortable. It still might be hard and painful and there'll be bumps, but there's kind of a like, yeah, this is what we do attitude. We need a new service offering or line, or we need this new technology, or we need to change the way we're organized, all that stuff. So I think that adaptability and, and level of comfort with, with always changing. I think another big thing is resilience. Uh, organizations that have been through some tough stuff and come out the other side are well positioned to deal with the inevitable hardships that come with big transformations and change. And I think, I think most organizations, if they've been around long enough, have had one of those moments or multiple moments that enabled them to double down and say, yes, we're doing this for a purpose and we're going to continue and find a way to succeed at this. So I think, I think that resilience is really important. Um, the flip side is attributes that can hinder success and transformation. One is stubbornness. And we associate stubbornness with individuals, but organizations can become stubborn if leaders for too long exhibit that trait. And stubbornness and transformation don't play well together. Stubbornness is what what forces organizations to deliver a subpar product just to hit a deadline. Stubbornness is what keeps organizations from making leadership changes when they have the wrong people in certain roles. Stubbornness is what keeps organizations from changing the way they work to embrace a new opportunity or a new technology. So I think, I think stubbornness is a really challenging trait to work with in, in business transformation. And I think the, the other one is arrogance, um, which again, feels like a personal trait, but organizations can take that on. And transformation by its very nature requires humility and curiosity about how the world could be better if you embraced thing different ways of working or different tools or different ways of being organized. And so an, an arrogant, we're the best, we know how to do this attitude doesn't, doesn't play well with transformation. Those are a few of my thoughts. I'd welcome thoughts from the rest of the group if you guys have experienced other, other traits that you think might help or hinder transformation I'm thinking about the difference between stubbornness and perseverance and just like what brings them apart. I feel like the curiosity that you were mentioning, the willingness to be wrong, the some of those continuous improvement practices that we know from Agile of, okay, let's take a step back do a retrospective, like what is and isn't going well, our potential differences, what else feels like it kind of puts a little bit of space between stubbornness and perseverance. I love all the comments you made. They all resonate with me. And I think the only additive I would share is some of it is the difference between the what and the how. So perseverance is commitment to an objective, to a purpose. 
I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to reach this goal. I'm going to succeed at this. Stubbornness shows itself as we have to do it this way because this is the way the plan dictated. We have to get to this goal on this timeline or through this through this mechanism or way. So I, that's how I like to think about it is commitment to purpose is awesome. And unwillingness to change your approach is where problems arise. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Love that. Thanks, y'all. We have our last Ask Me Anything question now from one of our client CEOs. And I quote, Michael, you've helped us on both strategic and tactical aspects of our journey. What has been the biggest challenge you've seen in taking the strategy from talk to action? The messy middle. So the strategic conversations are at the 30,000 foot view and the tactical action steps are at the 10 foot view. And understanding each of those is relatively doable. Folks that play at the high level get the high level. They can think through like the macro picture, what we're trying to do. And folks that are living and working in the business every day know the ground level intimately. The connective tissue between those two rarely exists naturally in an organization. And so I think the really hard part is descending from 30,000 feet to five feet without crashing the plane. And I think there's so much intangible soft skill stuff there. It's not like it's a spreadsheet. You'd have to have some spreadsheet that maps high level strategy to ground level action. It's what are the human relationships between the folks that occupy those levels? What's the language used? Like, you know, I we've got a client, former client that jokes all the time with me about how years ago I used to use every word in the consulting dictionary of bullshit. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on the on the podcast, but I'm gonna you know, take privilege and say it. Um, if you look at all the slideware or the, or the presentations at the strategic level, they have words like robust and synergies and bifurcating the business and all that stuff. If you go try to tell someone that's actually doing the work to serve the customer, that you need them to leverage a robust process to drive synergies, they're like, get out of my face, right? Like you have no idea how my job actually works. And so language is really important um, and trust and building that that trust throughout the organization. I think that is the hardest part from going from strategy to action. It's not some plan or some artifact or some magical like process map. It's How do you get folks at all the levels of the organization to trust each other and to listen to each other so that they can translate what each other is saying in a way that ensures the high level vision is brought to life um, in a more, in a more realistic way. And the other quick thought around this is strategy sounds simple most of the time and execution is very, very, very complicated and complex and messy. And I think sometimes strategic thinkers lose patience with the details. And so 
the really effective business leaders, business and technology leaders we work with, they are persistent, not stubborn, Kim. They are persistent in seeking to understand the perspective of the frontline worker and communicating in a two-way model what they're trying to get across so that they can get to a common understanding of how the strategy should come to life. Thanks so much, Michael, for all of the awesome AMA insights. Moving on to what I'm super excited for, our lightning round. First lightning round question. We know you love to go on daily walks. We know Georgia goes along with you on those. What are you doing on those walks? Are we listening to podcasts, music, silence? Tell us more. All of the above. So yes, to your point, about two years ago, about a year into COVID, I realized I was just sitting in my office chair all day, getting no physical activity. So I decided to start walking. And since then, my my rule has been I have to get 10,000 steps a day. Most days I get 12,000 or 15,000, but I, I don't let a day go by with less than 10,000. And the first walk of the day is my most social walk of the day because it's with Georgia, my golden retriever. And if you know Georgia, you know she loves the people. And so we just walk around the neighborhood and all the kids want to pet her. And so it's a that's the most social walk. The other walks in the day um, are usually podcasts or silence. I love HBR IdeaCast and How I Built This and Wisdom from the Top. Those are a few of my favorites. And I also, at least one walk a day, I don't listen to anything and I just think, Sometimes about personal stuff, but oftentimes about the business. Um, I came up with the name FlexPoint on one of my walks. Yeah, tell us more about where did that FlexPoint name come from? I love the concept and business of inflection points, basically that organizations don't grow linearly. They kind of ebb and flow in terms of their growth patterns. And that at those inflection points, that's when they have to reinvent themselves. And so... My vision for FlexPoint was that we help our clients at those inflection points and don't kind of latch on forever, but rather help them at those points, position them to thrive, and then trust that if we do good work and make them successful, they'll call us back at the next the next big inflection point in their journey. What is your favorite cuss word? No. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite cuss word is a, is a cuss acronym which I think you've all heard me say, which is FFS. And I will not spell out what that means. Uh, I will give credit to my dear friend, Michael Chafin, who taught me FFS. Um, and uh, yeah, I might use that from time to time. I love when you say it, it cracks me up every time. Um, speaking of cuss word acronyms, has anybody watched Bar yet on Netflix? No. It is Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. I haven't watched it. I just saw it with him. Yeah. What is it about? It is, he is a retiring CIA agent and he's like going on one last mission. And it turns out that he is saving his daughter. And then there's like this family drama, CIA drama. It was good. My sister and I watched four episodes back to back. <laughs> Has anyone seen Jury Duty? No. On Amazon? Is it good? I think it's very funny. <laughs> I just started Suits, which is older. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I watched I like that it. whole thing. But I, like I was watching it, so it live when I had cable. Yeah. 
it's good that at the one, beginning. It kind of. Mm-hmm. And it makes me like vicariously embarrassed and nervous because it's like, he's going to be found out. <laughs> <laughs> the embarrassing admission is I do really enjoy watching Bachelor in Paradise. So not not the real Bachelor or the real Bachelorette because there's not enough drama there. But BIP is where it's at. I started watching it early in COVID when I wanted to go to the beach and couldn't go to the beach. And I am both embarrassed and not at all ashamed to admit that I love Bachelor in Paradise. So there you go. Sue me. <laughs> That's hilarious. I also watched that show. Um, ashamed to admit. <laughs> Michael, what's your favorite way to relax after a long day? I love to cook. So cooking is... Uh, cooking is like most weeknights what I do and I find it I think a lot of folks my wife included feel like cooking is a chore like oh who's gonna have to cook tonight I don't feel that way at all most of the time Um, I love cooking and hate baking because I like the creativity of cooking that baking is a little too scientific for me and so I find after work opening the fridge. I mean, I usually meal plan at the start of the week, but sometimes like opening the fridge and trying to figure out what I can make for dinner from what we have is a really good creative outlet for me. What job did you have in high school? Two primary jobs in high school. Very different. One, I played the piano for a Catholic church. So five masses a weekend. So by the end of every weekend, I I could tell you the the priest homily like almost verbatim um so yeah good times uh, i do play the piano so i did that in high school made good good money saving up for college that was a great job um and uh and then the other one i worked in a barbecue restaurant which i think also you all know i love barbecue and i found out while eating at my favorite barbecue restaurant when i was like 15 that if you worked there when you were on duty, you got all you could eat, whatever you wanted for $4. And so that was enough for me to apply for a job. Uh, And so I loved it there and I ate a ton of barbecue and I still love it. I thought maybe I would like overdo it, but yeah, there you go. And I did once have barbecue sauce thrown on me by an angry customer. So every now and then when some of our clients are a little bit difficult, I just tell them I've seen worse and I can handle it. (laughs) (laughs) If you couldn't be a consultant, what would be your dream job? Two answers. One relates to to the last question, which is I would love to own and operate a barbecue restaurant. Uh, That's like kind of a pipe dream I've always had. And then the other one would be high school math teacher. So I think at some point down the road, that might be my my post-flex point job. Where can I find the best chocolate chip cookie in Austin? Oh my gosh, that is a great question. Um, I feel like this changes for me every few years. My current favorite is Tiny Boxwoods. Um, I think there are some great cookie options in Austin. And if you're talking about variety of cookies, different kinds of cookies, like there are other compelling options. But if you're just saying best chocolate chip cookie, Tiny Boxwoods hands down right now. What do you think? We got some other cookie lovers on the call. 
Uh, as a chocolate chip cookie connoisseur, I can validate this response, Michael. Tiny Boxwoods has a very solid chocolate chip cookie, but you got to eat it fresh when it's warm. Um, I think that the Spread & Co. cookie right across the street mm. is fantastic. It's like a brown butter chocolate chunk. Um, so if you're going to be at Tiny Boxwoods in Austin, just cross over 38th Street to Kirby Lane and get yourself a second or a third nice. cookie <laughs> from Spread & Co. <laughs> Bravo. I also agree. Tiny's is my favorite. In fact, it was a criteria for selecting a neighborhood to live in Austin. I needed to be in walking <laughs> distance. So that's, uh, and for a while I was going like several times a week. I have not continued that thankfully, but uh, I'm what, a do, what do we think about, what do we think about the crumble craze? Not okay, here for it. There, I was pretty impressed last week when a friend sent them to me for my birthday. Very, very good chocolate chip cookie. Like I, the te texturally very, very strong. I do love a borderline undercooked slash not cooked cookie, which mm -hmm. crumble meets that criteria. I like the, yeah. I like the texture. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, some of their other cookies are good. And some of them I'm like, this was unnecessary. Like there was a line and you crossed it. Like <laughs> I don't need to eat a dirt cut cookie. That was aggressive and it had a worm on top. Okay. I hope this makes it into the teaser because it's the most important right. part of the conversation. No, what's going to happen is we're going to have a bunch of people from around Austin listening to this podcast because <laughs> hey, of here, last Here's part. the deal. If you live in anywhere in the central time zone and you want to give us feedback about where to get good cookies. You can do that if you give us a referral for a new client. So give us a referral, <laughs> I'll hear your cookie feedback. <laughs> the comment section blows up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this was fun. I enjoyed this. This was fun. Thank you for asking the questions. Thanks to those folks that submitted questions beforehand. This was lots of fun uh do something different for our podcast so thank you for the time